Heavenly Father, I just pray even right now, Lord God, that you would reset, Lord God, our identity in you, Lord God. That we are children of God, that in Christ, Lord God, that we have been adopted, Lord God, that we are wanted, Lord God, that you have brought us into your home, Lord, brought us into your family. And I pray that a change of identity would begin with people in this room, Lord God, as we as we find ourselves as children of God. I pray that let there be joy. I know that so many of us walk in here, maybe with a father wound or a mother wound, Lord God, but you are a God that is good and you are for us, Lord God, and that you are with us. And I pray that there be a change of identity, a change of hope, that no longer that we need to earn our way into your family, Lord God. But God, Jesus, you have paid, Lord, on the cross to bring us into your family, Lord. So every time we sing this song that we can understand, that's what you did. And we're going to sing it one last time. The sun sets free. Child of God. Just raise your voice with me. some fireworks in the rain, right? It was pretty crazy. We're getting drenched on and the hail was coming. If you're a guest here, my name is John. Welcome. And I'm just so glad I got to meet some of you guys. So glad that you guys are here. And uh, I just I just want us to begin. I'm going to make some strong proclamations and uh, we're going to dive right in because we believe that the message or the word of God should, it should just uh, push the worship of God. And that's what we're doing. We're starting with the, the message, the word of God. But church, I want to let you know from the go, from the get-go, because this, uh, this is going to be a strong message, so you guys just, uh, just get ready, get ready, all right? That you, that the people in this room, that the people who are following Christ, that you in Christ are the most powerful, life-giving, hope-bringing, darkness-shattering, justice-exposing, gospel-living answer to prayer. I mean it. I mean it. Maybe you don't see that in you, but that's actually what we're called to do. That's actually what it means to step in. Because people around you need you, and I'm not kidding. They need you. You were made to make an internal, an eternal impact. And, and I don't want us to downplay the enormity of our identity. And I thought that was so good that we are children of God. We're not just children of God for our benefit. We're children of God so we can take on what God has put in us and live as, as he has made us, right? And Jesus said this, and it's not me saying this. This is Jesus telling you that you 
are the light of the world. The Apostle Paul said that we are Christ's ambassadors and that God is making his appeal through you. That God is making his appeal, that he's showing who he is through you. He's not just showing who he is through nature, but actually through you. And that's why it's so important that we begin to see our lives from a different point of view, from God's point of view, God's point of view, to what matters, which is people and God. That's what matters. These are eternal things that we, and that's why we practice the way of Jesus. We've been on an eight week, actually a nine-week journey, because the first week was kind of an intro, but we've been on a nine-week journey to practice the ways of Jesus, and I'm going to put this up, and this is not something that we're just, uh, we're, it's not just a message for message's sake, so we can have eight or nine messages in a row during the summer. This is different ways that Jesus actually lived. He lived practicing joy. Children ran to Jesus, right? Right? It, it, Kids don't run to me. Kids don't run to me, right? They, but they ran to Jesus. So Jesus was the type of person that had, had joy, right? And, and some of us were like, kids don't run to me. Maybe there needs to be a, a more a celebrating of children's lives, celebrating of people, a practice of prayer, a life with God. And this is enormous, the practice of prayer. This is no small thing. The prayer... And we think prayer is us connecting with God. But many times, prayer, think about this, is God using these moments so that he can trust us with what he's going to put into us. Think about that for a moment. It's not only us connecting to God. It's that God using prayer, these moments that he can trust us with what he's wanting to put into us, then a practice of serving, that we are co-workers with Christ, the practice of scripture, and Hannah spoke that, eating the word, having an appetite, and then sharing it, right? The practice of confession, a life without regrets, the practice of secrecy, I love that, being a ninja for Jesus, this is Matthew chapter 6, that you do things in secret, so it's just between you and the Father in heaven, and God uses us doing things in secret so he can break in us this approval disorder right we always want people's approval and how does he break that he says let's do some stuff just me and you just me and you so i can break in you your uh, your approval addiction that you are good with the audience of one and then practice of community life together and today we have the fun one the practice of suffering well say suffering well no one likes that. You can't even say that nicely. Suffering well, John. Suffering well. Right now, some of you guys are suffering, so you're like, oh, I, I need to hear this. But if you have your Bible, please go to James chapter 1 and Luke 24. Woo! All right. We celebrate the Word of God because the Word of God reveals Jesus. And Jesus, I believe, can change your life. Can change your life. He has changed my life. The practice of suffering. So before we get in there, I, I, I just want to tell you, I'm not trying to bum you out to talk about suffering, but Christians, people who follow Jesus, if Jesus is, is our Lord and Savior, we too need to learn how to suffer well. And I'm not telling you the sky is falling, because for most of us in this room, times are good, right? The economy is good, times are good, your business is good, maybe your marriage is good, but listen, listen, listen. Life is a marathon, not a sprint. 
It is. It's filled with journeys. It's filled with mountaintops. It's filled with valleys. So I want one primary thing. I want to build endurance in you. Endurance. I'm not much of a runner, obviously, right? Obviously. Like, when I run, I run a mile. I was, I was talking to a couple of my friends, and they're like, yeah, I'm just getting back into running. We ran nine miles, and, you know, just getting back into it. I'm like, that's not getting back into it. You know and you understand endurance. And in that part of my life, I need to still grow in. But I want to build endurance in you so that you can finish strong. You can finish strong in your faith in Jesus. And this message is so important today. And, and, and it's only important when it's important, right? This message today is not important until it's important. Learning to suffer well is not important until it's important, right? So that's why we practice it. So listen up. I'm going to read you James 1 right here. It says, consider it. You have to consider it. Think about it as pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind. Whenever. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces, it bursts in you, perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I love how the message puts it. It says, consider a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You're like, no one wants to consider that, right? But I love this part. You know that under pressure, say under pressure. Right? He's like, dun, 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 right? <laughs> under pressure. I was going to sing it, but I stopped myself. <laughs> oh, man. That was, that was close. That was close. I didn't even watch Bohemian Rhapsody. But under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open to show its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so that you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Under pressure. Under pressure. If you know me, if you know me, I am no handyman. I am no, I'm not mechanical. I have called many people in this room like, can you help me change this light bulb? No, I didn't, I didn't. it's like simple stuff. Like they're like this, John. And I'm like, I didn't know that. That's amazing, right? But my wife reminds me every year and she tells me, John, you're good at many things, but fixing things you're no good at. And I said, what a slap in my man face. How dare you, right? But every year around springtime, I am reminded of how right she is, right? Like, because spring means that you start fixing everything that went wrong during winter. Because every year winter comes into Colorado and it breaks things around your house, right? Winter comes every year. And, 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 and so I have to get the house ready and then I have to face this thing called the infamous sprinklers. Right? Some of you homeowners, you understand sprinklers. And I always hold my breath as I, as I pressurize the sprinkler line because the pressure reveals all the problems. The pressure reveals all the problems, the holes, the hidden cracks, the broken parts, the weak parts. Everything is revealed under pressure. So here is James, the brother of Jesus, who says, Consider it joy, a gift when trials come your way, when life gets pressurized, because only under pressure can you attend to the hidden places of your life. Think about that for a moment. Because God is more interested in growing you 
than making you feel good. And that's the best thing for you because it's producing in us resilience and maturity, which we need for everything that is worth anything in life. Hill City, I believe more than ever before we need to be resilient. And I want you to listen up right now. I find that people today are shocked and fall apart anytime they face suffering. As if something is wrong. We're surprised that life gets so hard, confused by suffering. Isn't that true? Sometimes I get confused by suffering. Like, God, why is this happening? Like, like suffering is something like that's foreign to us, right? Yet most cultures in our past and most cultures away from uh, maybe westernized culture expected suffering. They actually had rites of passage, and that's what we called the youth event, where they put their youth, their, uh, their, their kids that were becoming adults into a path of suffering on purpose to mature them, right? So that most cultures expected suffering. It was inevitable. Some cultures saw it as a means of strengthening and enriching and maturing. I was reading this article by Tim Keller, and he wrote, Our secular culture today is perhaps the worst in history at helping its members face suffering. And you guys can think about it with me. Every other culture says the meaning of life is something beyond this world and my, li- and my life and me, right? It may be going to heaven to, be in, to live with God, escaping the circle of reincarnation, or living on in your family and in your descendants. In each case, suffering, though painful, can actually help you reach your life goal and complete your life story. But in, order, but in our secular culture, the meaning of life is to be free. To choose what makes you happy in this life. Suffering then destroys that meaning. And so, in this view, suffering can have no meaning at all. It can't be a chapter in your life story. It's just an interruption. Or even the end of your life story. This is a really, really deep thought. It is saying that we have a hard time facing suffering because we find it foreign. But all over the Bible, all over our history, it wasn't foreign. It was made to make us. In my life, when I look back, I can see how God used my suffering or used my trials for my good and his glory. To get my attention, to lead me into a direction. I would not be in Colorado without suffering. I would not be with Candace. I'm not saying it's suffering to be with Candace. But it would have not led me, suffering for her, to be with Candace without suffering. I would not be a pastor without suffering. If it were not for suffering, I would not be here. But God used those seasons for my good. And that's really hard to swallow. It's, and it's easy to say amen when things are good, right? When you when you've are on the other side of suffering. But when you're in it, you're like, oh, I don't even want to hear this, John. But I'm going to give you hope. I'm not just giving you the problem. I want to give you hope, right? Because it's hard to see when we're in it. The Bible calls us times of wilderness. Say wilderness. Wilderness. The Bible's wilderness is not like what we think in our minds. It's not this lush jungle with edible animals, all right? That's not the wilderness of the Bible. The wilderness of the Bible is a desert. It's full of rocks. It's full of hills. The climate is hard. The terrain is hard. And and it's there to make you or break you. But God uses wilderness For his glory and your good. You're like, oh, Jesus, help me. Moses, I'm going to give you some rundowns. Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness running from his past, from Egypt, 
That's where Moses went face to face with God so that he could go face to face with Pharaoh. Elijah, the mighty prophet of the Old Testament, flees into the wilderness after doing great works with God. And he gets mad at God because he doesn't like the outcome of his life. Have you ever been there? Right? Like Elijah, you're mad at God. God used you, but you don't like the outcome of how your life is right in the moment. Yet in the wilderness, he begins to lean and depend on God because only he could do that. God became his provision. Jacob or Israel wrestled with God in the wilderness, comes out a new man with a new name but with a limp because the wilderness is a place of brokenness and humility. The apostle Paul went to the wild for three years in Arabia in the wilderness to be made by God, to be transformed. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. He was led there, it says in the scripture, by the Holy Spirit. Something to think about. Jesus was led into the wilderness. He faced all human weakness. He overcame and he left with power. See, you might go into the wilderness one way, but you'll never leave the same. You'll never leave the same. Because the wilderness takes us to our cross. And this is what I mean. The cross is a place of death, of self, of pride, of sin, and we're humbled at the cross. But it's also a place of burial of our past, our broken identity, our preconceived ideas of life and us and our wrong understanding of God, and God buries them in the wilderness. Then it's a place of resurrection, of new life, a new story, a place of healing, a place of hope. You come out different at the under, other end of this with purpose and passion. God makes dead things in our lives alive in the wilderness. All of us in our life, we will face times of the wilderness. We will. You might say, no, not true. If I make all the right decisions, I won't be there. You're absolutely wrong. Or you're under 20. You are. Yeah. You're like, if I make all the right decisions, life is going to go great. Tell me how that goes. Tell me how that goes. Because all of us will face wildernesses. And it's not just once. It is not just once. Some of you are there today. You're facing dry times. You feel disconnected, discontent, disillusioned. You're in a season of pain, lostness, and broken dreams. (laughs) And it's hard. You would think, listen, listen, you would think that's the last place God would meet you. But what if it's the very place where you could see God most clearly and you could see your brokenness most openly? When you have no one else to turn to and nowhere else to go and nothing else to lose and and you're at the end of yourself, this is where so many of us finally see Jesus to find out, I love this, that he was there the whole time. He was there the whole time. In your depression, he was there the whole time. When you were going through divorce, he was there the whole time. He was walking with us. We just could not recognize it. We couldn't recognize it. I wonder, because there's many times in the Bible that people don't recognize that Jesus was right there with them. I wonder if today we are walking this walk of faith and we don't recognize that Jesus is right next to us. And so go into the Gospel of Luke chapter 24. All right? And I'm going to give you some backstory of what's going on. 
right? Jesus arrives at Israel. He fulfills the prophecies of the Old Testament as the Messiah. He is God with us, and he, and, and he told us that he would suffer, die on a Roman cross, predicting his own death, and then he pulls it off, right? And on the third day, he rose again, and resurrecting from the dead, overpowering sin, death, hell, and the grave, to bring us back to God. And this is that, that foundational moment. And it changed all history from B.C. to A.D. They changed the day of worship to Saturday to Sunday. Jewish people don't change their day of worship. Let me just tell you. They believed that Jesus was God. And Christianity began that day, and his disciples ran, and, and, and as, as the resurrection uh, was as the main thing that Jesus is alive. But before they ran off and believed in Jesus, the first thing they did after the cross was they ran away. They ran away. And that's what I want to read to you today. I'm going to read right here. Sorry, I'm going to read this whole thing. You guys are going to enjoy it. On the first day of the week, verse 1, no, verse 13, on that same day, two of them were going to the village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. So they're walking away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where Jesus is, and Emmaus is where you walk away and say, man, this is hard. This is too hard. See, they were talking to each other about everything that had happened as they talked and discussed this, these things with each other. Jesus himself came up to them and walked with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, Jesus asked them, what are, your, what are you discussing together as you walk along? This is funny. They stood still with their faces so sad and downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? And do you not know the things that have happened in these days? It's so funny. Listen, they're asking, don't you know what just went on? And it's funny because Jesus is the only one who knows what went on. Everyone else is in the dark. What a moment. What irony to ask that question. There's moments in our life we ask, God, don't you know what's going on? He's the only one who knows what's going on. Think about that. It, this is beautiful. Then he keeps on going. He keeps on going. What things, he asks. And, of course, they start spilling the beans about what happened. This Jesus of Nazareth, he, and he died on the cross. We thought he was the, they call him a prophet. So no longer are they calling him Lord and Savior, these guys. They're calling him this prophet that came. We thought he was going to do great things and free Israel. But he didn't. He died on the cross. He died on the cross. Don't you know what's going on, God? Don't you know? See, these two disciples, they're heading out in disbelief. They're walking away due to the humiliation of the cross. The cross is humiliating. It's not just this thing to be glorified. It's a moment of humiliation. Jesus died naked on the cross. It is humiliating. It is humiliating. And these disciples for three years gave their life, and they felt it was wasted. Jesus is dead. Their dream is over. Their once firm faith, and I want to speak to some of you guys, some of you Christians in this room. Your once firm faith has been shattered. You, you're losing hope. Maybe you feel discouraged. Have you been there before where your once firm faith has been shattered and you're walking away from your symbolic Jerusalem to Emmaus, a place of, of just like, God, I just want to get away from you right now. 
your wants for in faith. This is what the disciples are going through. You can even read yourself into this story. You, have you been there when everything you had just starts to fall apart? A relationship, a job, friendships, your health begins to fall apart. And you can read yourself into this text. Then you read next that Jesus begins to walk with them, but they don't recognize him. Many of us today, we're walking and we're going to Emmaus and we don't recognize that Jesus is walking with us. You're walking through your suffering. You're walking and you got your head down. You're downcast. But Jesus is walking with you. I want to tell you that Jesus is walking with you and sometimes we won't recognize it. We won't recognize it, that he's there the whole time asking us questions, and, 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 it, and, and he's with us. But maybe Jesus was all covered up in that moment. But I believe this is truer than ever before today. Many Christians today are walking on the road to Emmaus, discouraged, confused, walking away from Jesus, from the church, and from their youthful faith. They're so close to Jesus but they no longer recognize him. They're disillusioned by their preconceived ideas of what God is like, what faith is like, and what they're like. And they're now they're facing suffering, the shaking, right? And listen, I know the crucified Jesus does not fit most people's narratives of God. This humility. We, think, we only think of God as this almighty, and it's really hard to see God in humility in brokenness, but the cross was necessary. The cross is necessary in your life. That's really hard to understand. But the cross is necessary in your life. Suffering was necessary. It was part of the plan for the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of new life for you and for me. I want to give you hope today. When you find yourself in the wildernesses of life, first, buckle up. Buckle up. You got to expect suffering. You got to expect it. Your story is not over. James tells us we need to learn to suffer well. It's not considerate pure joy if you face many trials. It's considerate pure joy when. Say when. That's right, when. When, John, when, right? When, that's when you buckle in. That's when you buckle up. Your faith is, our faith is not this easy Christian, whatever it is, this easy peasy Christian uh, belief where we say the magic prayer and then everything goes well. It doesn't go like that. And that's hard to swallow, but I believe in, in, in and I should, yeah, like in the 80s and 90s, some of us, we grew up in youth groups, and, and they told you, just believe in Jesus, and everything will go well with you. And then you're here, like in your 20s and 30s, or in your 30s and 40s, and there's a, what happened to like lottery Jesus, where we say the magic prayer and we win the lottery, right? Everything's good. You get your Charlie and the Chocolate Factory golden ticket to heaven. No, that's not how it goes. That's not how it goes. That's, that's not where the Bible ever said it would be. That's a mistake in understanding. It says consider pure joy when you're going to go through it. So buckle up. This is not Disney stuff. It's not always ha happily ever after, right? We got to go through some stuff. James tells us winter is coming. So get ready. Pressure is coming. You will be shaken. So be 
prepared and expected. And here's some following questions that we can consider today. How, and maybe, maybe this is something to think about, just with your eyes closed, I just want to ask you in your life, if you're going through it, if you're not going through it, but how are you responding to the sufferings of life? How do you respond to the sufferings of life? And then how should you respond to it? Am I learning from it? Am I learning from it? And does my response demonstrate faith and my love for God and for others, my character, my commitments, and my values? How can God use these moments in my life? I think that's a huge question that we must ask when we're going through it. How can God use these moments? Because we, as Christians, if we want to mature, we need to suffer well. And that's hard. And that, that's hard. Second, keep going. You can, you can look at me. I, I know. It's not much to look at. But keep going. Embrace suffering. And this is what I mean. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give in. Church, look at me right here. Keep turning from your sin. I mean it. Don't allow even a little bit of sin, a little bit of turning away from God to get a foothold on your life. Keep turning away from temptation. Men and women in your marriages, keep turning away from temptation. Singles, keep turning away from temptation. I know, I know, keep fighting it. Keep going back to the cross. I know life is hard. I know marriage is hard. Singleness is hard too. I know your job is hard, but not having your job is hard too, right? Believing is hard, but it's a season. It's a season. 1 Peter 4, 12 to 13 says this. Dear friends, do not be surprised by fire ordeals that have come on to test you as though it's something strange happening to you, right? But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Listen, you won't always feel it. But let me encourage you when you are participating with Jesus when you're going through tough times. Right now, you're participating with Jesus. You're trusting Jesus. You're revealing Jesus in your life. You're glorifying Jesus. You're representing Jesus. And you're having fellowship with Jesus when you go through tough times because he's walking with us in the fire. So I want to take you back. At, at, when we look at the road to Emmaus, Jesus is walking with us. And today, if you're in a season of suffering, as we close, if you're in a season of suffering, I want to point you back to Jesus because most of us in our culture where we say suffering is not okay, it's not what God wants for us. We say that, yes, it's not, but God uses even the evil, even the suffering for his glory and for our good, for his glory. So if you're in a time of season of suffering, let's just bow our heads for a moment. Let's stand. Let's stand. Let's stand. Stand with me. Because I want to pray for some of you guys. Today, if you're going through it, if you are going through a season of suffering, I want to point you to Jesus, but I also want to point you to your church family. 
This is when the family of God is so important. It's not only when we celebrate together, but it's when we mourn together. We mourn with those who mourn. We carry one another's burdens. It is so important. Today, if you're in this room and God is speaking to your heart and you feel like you're on a road to Emmaus, you're walking the other direction, you're walking away from Jerusalem because you don't understand what you're going through and you're suffering today, if you're in here, can you just raise your hand so we can pray for you? Just raise them high. Let's be bold about it where we're at. And if you're around these people, can you just put your hand on their shoulder? Put your hand on their shoulder. Yeah. Pray for them. Pray for them. Just keep your hands up. Some of you guys know that some people are going through it and they didn't raise their hands. Pray for them too. Pray for them too. Be bold enough to go up to them. Because I think it is so important for the body of Christ to be the body. And we can't carry it alone. Just take a moment. Jen, you want to lead us as, as they're praying? Just pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray in this moment, Lord God, we pray for Annette and David, Lord God. We pray for every hand that rose today, Lord God, when they feel like they're on the road, Lord, of suffering. And I know this is not, Lord, the happiest message, Lord God, but I pray in the name of Jesus right now, Lord God, that we would learn to suffer well, Lord God. God, I pray for every hand that is raised, Lord God. Every hand, Lord God. Jesus, bring peace there. For those who are on the other side of suffering, I want you to use your wilderness for good. For good. Help those who are going through that now. Some of you, you guys understand, you've gone through it. It could be divorce. It could be cancer. It could be death. It could be depression. It could be marriage problems, single problems, addictions. Don't waste your suffering. Don't waste your wilderness. People need you. I mean it. People need you. We need your life experience. We need your wisdom. We need your strength. If life is great, don't just sit back and say, praise God. Say, how can I jump in? How can I help? How can I help the people that need me? Get them back. Point them back to Jerusalem. Point them back to Jesus. Recognize them. If you want to just lead us. There's nothing worth all that could ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. And I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves. Where my heart becomes free And my shame is undone Your presence, Lord Oh
right here with him. song to him right now.
Do we really believe that today? Do we really believe that if we take what's in our hands and we place it into the hand of the Father today, that he's going to turn it into something beautiful, that he's going to take your ashes, whatever you bring to him today, and he's going to turn it around. He's going to turn it into something beautiful. Do we have that trust? Do we have that faith? Or are we just singing it because it's a beautiful thing to say? Do you believe that in your heart today? Do you believe that the God of the universe cares about you? Do you really believe that today? Because there is a God who sent his son to die for you because he loves you. He loves you, loves you, loves you right where you are, right here, right now. Nothing more in this world that God, than God wanting to know you, to have a relationship with you, for you to trust him with everything that you have. But we're so fearful. We let so much of the enemy get into our heads. We think, if I can just hold on to this little bit, this last little bit that's holding me up, if I can just hang on to it, then maybe I won't fall. When God's saying, I'm right underneath you, if you will just give it to me and let go, everything I have to offer you is right here. But we choose to hang on to what we have because of fear. So today, I challenge you, let it go. Don't let the fear, don't let the fear take over you anymore. Let the light of God that is inside of you overwhelm the darkness that tries to take over your mind because there is nothing in this world that is greater. That is he that is in me. But you have to believe it. You have to truly take hold of it and say, I give it all to you, God. I trust that you're going to turn this around and make something beautiful. I don't lean on my own understanding. I lean on the understanding of who you are because I don't know everything, and you do. That's who I, I choose to believe is the person who knows my past from my future. He knows the beginning from the end, and he already has it planned out. Each and every day, each and every step you take, he knows. All you have to do right in this moment, you just close your eyes in this moment. Say, I give it all to you, God, trusting that you'll make some beautiful out of me. Come on, give it to him. 
That's okay. Um, say practice for the pressure. Yes, that was really powerful. Practice for the pressure. And I was just a, oh, you didn't need to repeat that time. No, just kidding. You know, I was thinking, uh, uh, why don't you guys be seated? I just want to close this out and I want to have your, uh, I know you're getting, it's, it's hard to stand for like 10 minutes, I know. Um, and any of, any football players here? I remember uh, going into uh, football when I was in seventh grade, and I was like, I was a pretty good like playground football player. Do you know what I mean? Like I was chosen the quarterback, so I'd, I'd sit there in elementary school and fling that ball. And I remember getting, I, I signed up for football, and I remember the very first time I went to practice and I put on pads, and someone hit me, and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like Arico coming at me, and I was like, I can play, I'm good. Get the pads on the face mask, and I just got absolutely laid out. You know, these days they'd probably be like, oh, take him off the field. He needs to like, you know, take a break. But uh, I remember that moment. I had no practice. I had, I, know I, I had no notion of what it meant to be hit. 
by someone much bigger than me and much more powerful and who had practiced. And I, I think that that's the pressure, right? It's easy kind of to play in the football, like with no pads, no anything. And I apologize for the, for the sports analogies. Uh, but I also do it with my son. He, he, his, his goal is to become an NBA player. So he needs to do what? A lot of practice. Are you practicing? That's what this coach says. You know, he comes to do shoot free throws. Are you have you been practicing? You can tell, right? When someone hasn't been practicing, you can tell. And so when I impact my son, I don't just say, hey, go do a bunch of layups. You know what I do? I go up layups, and he goes up for a layup, and I actually, like, knock him over. <laughs> don't judge me. And so I thought that was a little harsh, and I kept plowing him over. But now I do pool noodles, and I just, like, whack him when he goes up for a shot. And just, because you know what I'm doing? I'm, I'm trying to emulate, I'm trying to synthesize pressure. Because when he gets on a court and he goes up and he, my son's a taller, but he's good, there's always a taller guy, right? There's always more pressure. There's always something in his life that's gonna come. And so I try to, I try to synthesize some sort of pressure in his life. He's going up. And my wife and I have been talking about this as, as, as family, as parents. Don't we? We try to short circuit uh, suffering in our kids' lives sometimes, don't we? Who wants to let their kids suffer? I don't see any hands. I don't. But and this is kind of bold. And John, I don't know if. It, I think suffering is a right in our lives. And it's, it's not, it's, my wife has said, it's not our, it's, it, we, we actually, it, it's, it's my son and my daughter's right to suffer. And I don't mean like if they're sick and I just sit there and let them suffer and not take them to the hospital. Please don't think that's what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about there's areas in life where you look at your children, you look at your friends, your family, and you say, I'm gonna pray with you. I'm gonna talk about this mountain and we're gonna go up this thing together but it's the pressure right now that is going to create the man or woman you're going to be in the future. So let us be a church that values suffering well, not suffering poorly, where woe is me and I'm a mess and oh my gosh, and I don't have good theology, but let us learn to suffer well. Are you following me? Come on, I'm preaching well right now, even though it's not my time to preach, sorry, John. But the last thing, let it back to James. It says here, let perseverance finish its, finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. Don't short-circuit the perseverance, amen? Don't short-circuit the testing of your faith. That's kind of the American way that John was alluding to. Short-circuit that. To have some sort of um, stimulant, something that takes away the pain. And I'm not talking like health-wise, so I'm separating that. But I'm talking about the things in our lives that are there as a right that God has given us to grow us, to stretch us, to test that faith. That is what it means to be a Christian. That is what it means to come to that pressure in the future and say, you know what? I was ready for this moment. Are you practicing? You go back to this and say, next week, if I come to you and say, hey, have you been practicing the way? You know, it's not about the moment right now. Sometimes it's practice right now because of the pressure, but many times it's practicing for future pressure that'll be in your life. All right, amen. Ushers, can you guys come forward, please? Uh, we're going to continue in our giving. I know I kind of went to that quickly. We're going to, um, I'm going to do a few announcements as they come up. Hill, Hill City Summer Pool Party. Ready for it? I already got my suit on. No, I don't. July, well, it's today, July 7th. So it's today. And I look at the top, it says, what's happening? And if you talk to Franco right here, he says, Paul, whenever I call him, he says, Paul, what's happening? So what's happening? So pool party today at the Oasis. I'll get this right in Brighton, 1852 East Bromley Lane. It says Broomley Lane, I like that. But Bromley Lane. Uh, and so it's from 6.30 to 8.30, right? Cool, so come, there'll be food. 
Um, if you feel bold enough, you can go swimming. Uh, a lot of people don't, but I'm going swimming. So we're going to have a fun time. And just celebrating being the family uh, in Hill City. And just, just come out and enjoy a nice summer evening. And pray for no rain. But it probably won't. It'll probably still rain. But we'll see. Uh, this week, Urban Outreach is at, uh, on Thursday. It's in your flyer or in the, uh, in the bulletin right here. And then last but not least, coming in a couple months, we're going to do our baptisms September 15th. And so there's plenty of time to sign up for that, and we'll keep announcing that over the next uh, couple months. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for an amazing church family, a building we get to worship in and hear the word of God preached. I thank you for Pastor John and gifting him with the ability to speak and teach and lead us, God, in this place. And Lord, let us leave this day thinking about practice, thinking about pressure, thinking about suffering well. God, that you demonstrated that for us in the scripture, God, in your life, God, so that we may live a life, God, that tests our faith, God, that creates perseverance, that we become Christians that are the most redemptive agents in this world. God, you are good. And Lord, we, I just pray a blessing over this church today, God. There's so many pressure situations right now. There's so many people that are suffering today from really big things of, of major health issues and, and losing loved ones to the small things of maybe, maybe battling um, some, uh, some mental struggles or a job that's starting or, or, or many other stations of life that people are in right now, God. And I pray right now that we take this message to heart, let the seed be planted in us and to begin to grow and flourish so that we can understand the pressure today and even for future pressures. God, let us be mature and complete Christians. God, we love you. You are good. And God, we pray for an amazing pool time tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Give God a hand one more time. You guys are dismissed. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you tonight. We're coming to a pool party. If not, we'll see you next Sunday.